Dear ones, please turn with me in your copy of God's Holy Word to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. This evening, we will be in John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 27. Please now stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. We pray, O oh God, that we would indeed understand what Christ means in this passage when he tells us that he is the resurrection and the life. Help us to cling to him even more by faith, to love him more deeply as, we, as, as the gospel is expounded. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One sad reality of life in this world is that because of sin, death is all around us. Just after God created Adam, he gave that first man instructions. He gave him a law. In Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, the Lord says this, or we read these words. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. As we, of course, know, Adam and Eve failed to uphold God's law. And ever since that fateful day, death has been part of this world. Because of our society's fear of death and modern sensibilities that tell us to avoid such taboo subjects, we try to sanitize and minimize the fact that death looms over us in so many ways. Even parts of the church has succumbed to the temptation to avoid talking about death. But the Bible doesn't want to sanitize death. It doesn't sugarcoat it, but rather shows how believers must act, must behave, even in the face of death. Well, here in John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, we see two women who are particularly confronting the reality of death. Martha and Mary are grieving over the loss of their beloved brother, Lazarus. And they look to Christ for comfort and for hope. And as so many before their time and since, these women receive from Christ more than they could ask or imagine. 
Throughout John chapter 11, Christ shows Martha and shows Mary, and by extension, He shows you and me that He Himself has power and authority over death and hell. Death will not have the last word because Jesus Christ, our Savior, the incarnate Word of God, is the resurrection and the life. Well, just before the verses under consideration this evening, Lazarus, a dearly loved follower of Christ, fell ill and he died. And we read in verse 11 of chapter 11, after saying these things, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. At this stage in his public ministry, Christ is making his final approach toward Jerusalem. For it's in Jerusalem that he'll be arrested and tried, that he will be beaten and eventually crucified. John chapter 12, immediately following this, shows Christ's triumphal entry where he goes into the capital city of Israel for the last time during his earthly ministry. And we are told in John chapter 11 and verse 18 that Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. And so Jesus comes from across the Jordan and is making his way to Bethany, which will be the last place that he stops before he enters Jerusalem. And he goes to Bethany, as we see, to minister to his followers, but also to show his mighty power and his glory, his majesty, by raising a dead man to life, which he will do later in John chapter 11. In fact, uh, as the gospel of John continues, and as we see the way that the Jews begin to, or continue to interact with Jesus and accuse Him of things, the Jews will actually use Christ's raising of Lazarus from the dead as one of the many reasons why they must put Him to death. What we see then is that the events that lead all the way to the cross are in some ways set in motion here in John chapter 11. As we've seen, as we've looked at these uh, I am statements of Christ, they usually come before or after Christ performs a mighty miracle. These I am statements are declarations of the power and the authority of Christ, and they're punctuated, they're emphasized by these miracles. After he feeds the 5,000, Christ is the bread of life providing for His people true spiritual food and spiritual drink. Before healing the man born blind, Christ is the light of the world, who illumines minds darkened by sin, and, and He is that light by which we spiritually see the things that God has for us. After that same healing of the man born blind, Christ is the door by whom all sheep enter into the sheepfold of the people of God. And... In that same chapter, in John chapter 10, Christ is the good shepherd 
who cares for his sheep, who provides for their every need, who lays down his life for the sheep. And now here in John chapter 11, before miraculously raising Lazarus, a dead man, back to life, Christ proclaims to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life. Yes, through the work of the Holy Spirit and by nature of the fact that He is God incarnate, Christ does have the power to raise dead men to life again. But more than that, Christ, when He tells Martha that He is the resurrection and the life, shows that He has the power, that He not only has the power to raise dead men to life again, but He shows that it is only through Christ that resurrection will come at all. Only in Christ will anyone be raised again after physical death. Only in Christ will anyone receive blessed eternal life. We see in our passage then that Christ goes to Bethany to be with His people, to support and comfort this family that is is so dear to Him. And in verse 20... We read, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Someone tells Martha that Christ is coming. And so, always the active, of, the active one of the two sisters, Martha rushes out to meet our Savior on the road to Bethany. And it's there in this conversation between Martha and Christ that we see this wondrous saying of Christ, this declaration of Christ. But before we get to Christ saying that He is the resurrection and the life, Martha meets Jesus on the road and and confronts Him. Lord, if You had been here, my brother would not have died, she says in verse 21. These words that Martha speaks to Christ seem at first glance to be a rebuke. Why weren't you here, Jesus? You could have done something. Lazarus could still be alive if you had come sooner. That may, in part, be what Martha intended, but we'll look in just a moment at why that's probably not the case. But if it was, it would be understandable, would it not? This is a grieving sister. Her brother just died. Christ has performed many mighty miracles that Martha has seen with her own eyes. So she asks Christ, or tells Christ that if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How does Christ, though, respond to this grieving sister? He responds with words of comfort and love. He says, your brother will rise again. Christ assures Martha that her hoping for Christ, that that longing for Christ's arrival was not in vain, and that Christ came to help, came to help her, to help Mary, and to help all of the people in various ways. Certainly, he came to help Lazarus himself. What do you and I see in this response of Christ when she is, she's grieving, and he says, your brother will rise again? I think you and I should take comfort and know that even when he seems far off, even when it seems as though our great God is at a distance, 
we know that He is near. Christ is always near to His people, especially to His people who are hurting, who are grieving, who are suffering a loss. We can know that no matter what you are dealing with, no matter what circumstances God in His providence has brought your way, you can know that Christ is with you. Christ is with you. Our great God is sovereign. He is all-knowing, omniscient. He knows what is happening and when. And He's sovereignly ordained all that comes to pass so that you can rest in that sure promise that what He has brought to you will work out for your good, will work out for your growth in sanctification. And God is working all things so that you would give glory and honor and worship to Him alone. So dear one, when you are attacked and reviled and belittled by others, sometimes even by the people of God, when you are grieving and hurting, mourning and wondering why you're enduring the events that God has brought into your life, take comfort and know that none of it is a surprise to God. Christ knows what you're going through. God knows what you're going through because in His providence, He has brought it to you. And there is surely something for you to learn through it all. John, at the beginning of this passage, verse 11, tells us that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days before Christ made His way to Bethany. Four days. Long days for Martha and Mary to sit in their grief and sorrow, for their minds to race about where Christ was and when He would arrive and whether or not He could actually do anything to help when He does get there or if He could have done anything to help before Lazarus died. Our Savior, though, He knew all of this. He knew the turmoil that the sisters would endure, and yet He also knew that His delay was going to be better for them. That through that delay, through his taking his time to make his way to Bethany, that through that his mighty power would be shown and that they would be sanctified. Though Martha seems to criticize Christ when she meets him on the road, saying, you, you should have been here, Jesus. She actually is showing a remarkable faith throughout this passage. Martha is confident here that if Christ had been there, if he had been in Bethany when Lazarus was ill, Lazarus would not have died. He would have been healed from his sickness. Martha understood that Christ has the power to perform miracles, that he can make the sick well that he can do what the doctors and physicians of the day could not do. Martha had likely seen many of the works that Christ had done and understood something of what Christ would have been able to do for Lazarus. She says, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. But notice, though, that her faith goes so far and then no further. Jesus, you could have healed his sickness if you had been here. But she doesn't say something like, I know that 
you can perform an even greater work, even now, and raise Lazarus, who has been dead and buried for four days from the dead. Martha knows that Christ is all-powerful. She confesses later in verse 27 that she believes Christ is the Son of God. But at the same time, she can't appear to fathom the wondrous work that Christ is about to do and the mighty comfort that he's going to provide her and her sister, Mary, in raising their brother from the dead. Indeed, God's word tells us that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Martha can't fathom what Christ is about to do. That wondrous work that Christ is about to perform Because God is gracious to do for her more abundantly than she could even ask or imagine. Remember that, dear Christian. Remember that in the midst of trial and temptation, in the midst of turmoils of this life, God stands ready to do more, abundantly more than you could ask or think. In his commentary on this passage, the Genevan reformer John Calvin says that Martha attached too much much importance to the bodily presence of Christ. In verse 21, she says, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had physically been in the area, my brother would not have died. She was too focused on the physical presence of Christ, not realizing or not believing that Christ could have saved Lazarus from wherever he was, be it in Jerusalem or or Galilee, or if he had traveled to Egypt, or if he was here in Mount Pleasant, he could have done a mighty work anywhere. Later in this chapter, you and I see that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead with nothing but his voice. He says, Lazarus, come out in a loud voice. And Lazarus raises from the dead through the proclamation of the word of God. The dead are raised to life and all those who are raised in Christ will never die again. What's easy for us to sit back here 2,000 years after these events and criticize Martha or look down on her for her words to Christ. We know how the story ends, don't we? We know that what, what Christ is about to do when he arrives to that tomb. But Martha is grieving. Martha is mourning her beloved brother. And when Martha meets Christ on the road to Bethany to talk to him, she's going to him to receive comfort, to receive help from him. She doesn't know what kind of help. She just knows that Jesus can help. And she goes there to profess her faith in him. And Christ, who is her loving and compassionate Savior, who knows what she's thinking and feeling, knows what she needs better than than she does. Christ comes to provide a great balm for her weary soul. And because Martha is active and comes out to meet Christ, she is blessed to hear that wondrous proclamation that Christ gives in verse 25 when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He follows those wonderful words up by saying, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because of Adam's sin, as we saw from Genesis chapter 2, all men and women die. Death is unnatural. It's not the way that things are supposed to be. But it is part of our experience in this life. And even still, Christ promises that even though his people will experience physical death, they will yet ultimately live because their faith is in the resurrection and the life, Christ himself. And it's in this way that those who live and believe in Christ shall, as he says, never die. Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Ritterboss, in his commentary on this passage, says that the common meaning of this phrase of Christ at the end of verse 25 and, and beginning of verse 26, the common meaning is that everyone who believes in Jesus in life as in death participates in the resurrection and the life that Jesus is and that he imparts. In the beginning of this gospel, John tells us in the prologue that that Christ, the word of God, was life. In him was life, he says. That life was the light of the world. All life comes from and finds its fulfillment in Christ, our Savior. For all those who are in Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 4, Christ himself is your life. And Christ says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. In Christ is life. Christ is your life. And Christ died. But behold, he says, I am alive forevermore. And Christ himself holds the keys of death and hell so that death no longer has hold over you, dear believer. No longer has hold over anyone who professes faith in Christ as their Savior. Christ, for those who believe, is the resurrection and the life. John, or or excuse me, Christ here says that whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Faith in Christ means that we shall never die. Ritterboss continues in his commentary to explain what Jesus means by this, that, that those who have faith in him shall never die. He says, faith in Jesus does not make humans immortal. What it does bring about is that from this moment on, they no longer live under the power of death. Resurrection is therefore not a matter of the last day, as Martha assumed, but of now, of listening in faith to the Son of God. Martha mistakenly believes that Jesus, when he tells her that her brother will live again, is that Jesus is talking about the final resurrection at the end of time. Surely that is part of what Christ means. He believes that there will be a final resurrection at the end of all time. 
But Christ means more than that. Christ means that he himself is the one who is alive forevermore. And that in him, all of those who have faith in him will never die and will have life. Christ is here in John chapter 11, but also in our day today, right here and right now, doing the miraculous work of causing dead men to live again. As we saw last time we were together in Ezekiel chapter 34, God condemns the shepherds in Israel for being careless and selfish. These false shepherds were seeking their own gain and taking advantage of the sheep under their care instead of nurturing them as they were commanded. God then goes on to tell the people through Ezekiel that he himself will come and will be the shepherd to his people. Christ, as we saw in John chapter 10, is the good shepherd. The fulfillment of that ancient prophecy that was given through the prophet Ezekiel long before the incarnation of the Son of God. Though human shepherds fail God's people, the good shepherd never will. Christ loves his sheep so well and so completely, in fact, that he lays down his life for them. Well, a few chapters later, in that prophecy of Ezekiel. He commands his prophet to go, the Lord commands his prophet to go to a valley filled with dead, dry bones and to prophesy to them, to speak to them, to proclaim the word of the Lord to them. Through the power of that word that is preached by the prophet of God, those dry bones began to put on flesh. The bones gain muscle and sinew, tendon and and skin, and they come together to form a great army of the Lord. It's a wonderful passage and a wonderful picture of the proclamation of the word of the Lord. Well, the parallels between this section of Ezekiel, chapter 34 and 37, and these I am statements of Christ is self-evident, isn't it? Just as Christ is that good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that shepherd, shepherd uh, that, that the Lord says in Ezekiel 34, uh, he, will, he will be for his people. Just as Christ is the good shepherd there, so too he is the resurrection and the life who brings dead, dry bones to life again, who enlivens the dead souls of all of those who repent of their sin and who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, he made us alive together with Christ, the resurrection and the life. So that all those who believe in him, in Christ alone, will never die and will have life everlasting. Christ alone is the resurrection and the life. And so, Dear one, you must believe in him. Perishing apart from Christ leads to sure death, eternal damnation. Come to Christ in repentance and faith. Receive life from him. All other so-called saviors lead to death. 
come to Christ and live. One thing I think that might not be typically discussed in this passage, John chapter 11, verses 17 through 27, is the importance of the Christian virtue of patience, of waiting on the Lord. Martha and Mary, as we saw in verse 17, had to wait four long days after their brother was interred in the tomb to hear from or see their precious friend and Savior, Jesus Christ. They didn't know what Jesus would do, and they certainly didn't expect him to do what he did do. And yet they waited in eager anticipation, never doubting that Jesus would, in fact, come to them, even if it was just to provide comfort to them in their time of grief. In his expository notes on the Gospel of John, J.C. Ryle writes this, We can well imagine what a sorrowful time those four days must have been to Martha and Mary, and how many thoughts must have crossed their minds as to the reason of our Lord's delay, as to the day he would come, and the like. Nothing, Ryle says, nothing so wears us down as suspense and uncertainty. Yet of all graces, there is none so glorifying to God and sanctifying to the heart as that of patience or quietly waiting. How long Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David were kept waiting. Jesus loves to show the world that his people can wait. Martha and Mary had to exemplify this. Well, if we can do likewise. Dear believer, are you worn down in suspense and uncertainty? Do you feel like you're stuck waiting on the Lord? Perhaps you're waiting for test results to come back. Maybe you're waiting to hear back about a job interview. Perhaps you're unmarried and you desperately want to be, and so you're waiting for the Lord to provide for you a spouse. Maybe you're married and you and your spouse are waiting for the Lord to bless you with children. Whatever it is, you and I all experience times of waiting on the Lord. Here, in this passage, you and I see what it looks like to wait in patience and faith in Christ. Jesus loves to show the world that his people can wait. How beautiful is that? When you wait in patience, you bear witness to your faith in Christ, assured that you do not wait in vain. And so, dear believer, wait patiently on the Lord, and and God will honor your patience. It will work out for your sanctification and Christ-likeness, and more importantly, the situation will work out for God's glory. Christ tells his disciples in John 11, verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus became ill so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Dear one, glorify God by showing the world that you can wait because you're waiting for your Savior who cares for you, who provides for your every need, who loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. 
wait upon the Lord, who is the resurrection and the life, who will one day return, will one day come again and usher in his kingdom that shall never end. In John chapter 11, our Lord Jesus Christ performs a mighty miracle. He raises a man from the dead who had been in the tomb for four days. But you and I must understand and must remember that there came a day, weeks, months, years, we don't know, later, when Lazarus died, when he was buried, and when he was not raised. The miracle that Christ performed was more of a resuscitation than a true resurrection. Lazarus died again. Well, Christ our Lord also died. He laid down his life for his sheep as a substitute for all who would repent of their sins and believe in him. Though Christ never committed a sin, he died for your sin, for my sin. Christ became sin on the cross for you and for me. But dear ones, death was not the final word for Christ. He burst forth from the grave three days later in a mighty display of his power and of his glory. Christ died, and as he says in Revelation, behold, he lives forevermore. If you are in Christ, death will not have the final word. Christ, our Savior, is the resurrection and the life. Through him, though a person die physically, they shall live spiritually, forever glorifying our great God of glory. Because you are saved by the blood of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. So repent and believe in Christ, the resurrection and the life. Come to Christ and live. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ is our life. That in Christ, we shall live and never die. Though we die physically, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would comfort us as we wait upon you, as we wait upon the things that you will provide for us and bring to us, as we wait in the midst of turmoil in various situations in life. We pray, O oh God, that we would wait patiently, knowing that Christ is coming and that you long to give us far more than we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you, O oh God, for Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, and we pray that you would be with us now by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.